With Hashem's assistance, we are learning Gittin Daf Mem Gimel, page 43. We begin at the bottom of Mem Beis, Mem Beis, page 42b. Iboilahu, I'll ask you a question. Evet shemachar rabba leknas, machar ayin machar. Let's say somebody, a master, wants to sell his slave in regards to the fact that if something happens and he's supposed to receive some kind of fine, that the money should go to that person. He's selling the slave for the fine. I mean, he retains the slave for all purposes except for the fact that there's some kind of fine. It goes to the person that he's selling him to. Machar and a machar is considered sold or not. Tiboyler of Meir, Tiboyler of So this question is according to the Meir and according to the rabbis. Tiboyler of Meir, because we could ask the following. According to the Meir, I can like a Meir, Adamach Oilam. In regards to the selling something that is not yet in the world, someone does Meir say that, like a going Paris in regards to the fruits of a tree, so it's usual that, it, that they come. So therefore, Rabbi Meir holds that you can indeed sell that thing even though it hasn't yet come into the world. But over here, who says that he's even going to get gourd at all? So it's something that's not so common. So maybe Rabbi Meir would say that in fact, despite the fact that he says in regards to fruits that you can indeed sell fruits that aren't in the world yet, but in regards to this money, you can't give that over. You can't sell that right. And if you want to say the mingach, even if he will indeed get gored, who even says that he's the person who, who's going to gore him, who owns that slave, that who owns that ox? I'm sorry, is going to have to pay him. Dilma miftar. We come out the top of him. Perhaps he's going to admit before the witnesses say their testimony. He's going to admit in court, and he's going to be potty. Doesn't have to. Someone who admits that he owes a fine doesn't have to pay the fine. So therefore, it's something that's very uncommon, and Rabbi Meir would admit, or he would say that in fact, in this case, you cannot sell something that hasn't come into the world yet. You can even ask the, the question according to the rabbis because when do the rabbis say that you cannot give over something that's not in the world? When we're talking about when do they say you can't do it? She's talking about some kind of fruits that are not yet in the world at all. But here there's something better. You do have the ox and you do have this slave, meaning all the ingredients to get us to that that matzah, that state where you in- indeed owe money, they're all here already. The only question is, has it gored yet? So this is something that's closer to reality. So maybe the rabbis would agree that in fact, you can be you can indeed give over something that has not, you can sell something that you, that you don't have a chiv for, you don't have an obligation to pay yet. My, what's the halacha? Amr B'Yabba. says like this, Tashamal, let's bring a proof. Yilid Bais, the verse says, that anyone who's a child in that house, meaning a child of some kind of slave, so he also gets to eat from Chuma. What is this coming to teach us? If a person who is acquired to be his slave, so that, so he's able to eat from truma from the Kohen special food, you live by like So a child of that slave certainly has the ability to eat from from his food. It's it's considered his child, so to speak. It's considered his slave. So the Gemara says, You see, I'm if I would have only known it from there, I would have said like this: Just like in regards to somebody who's owned a slave, so he has some kind of value. That's who is going to eat. So a child also that's born to a slave, he has to have some kind of value in order to eat. So how do I know that even though this child has no value at all, that since nevertheless he still is going to eat? So that's why the verse says that even a child of a slave, he also was able to eat. Mikal makom in any event, meaning even if he has no value. So now the Gemara says, and I still will say, whether or not he has value or he does have value. So he does have the ability to eat. So what about a regular slave? All we know is that if he has some kind of value, then he eats. If he doesn't have any value, then he doesn't eat. So how do we know that he also eats? We connect the concept 
concept of a slave who's been bought to his child. My lid bias of Bishayna Shabaklum, just like we find by a child who's been born to a slave, so he, and he doesn't have any value. Nevertheless, he still eats. So, so to a slave, even if he has no value at all, he also is going to eat. So now the Gemara says, from the fact that we can talk about a slave that has absolutely no value, so that's going to prove something. And if it would be true that a slave that was sold by his master for some kind of if there's a fine that he's considered sold, so so is there any slave that can't be sold that if he's gored that he's not that the that the that the person who buys him will get the fine? So how could you have a slave that has absolutely no value? So from the fact that we see in the Bryce that you could talk about such a thing, that's clear that you cannot sell your slave for for the fact that someone will get the money from the fine. The Mar says, In no, it's not true. There is a case where you have a slave that cannot be sold for his fine. What's the case? Ika Eved, Trefa. So you have some kind of slave that has some kind of, let's say, a hole in his lung, and he's already considered that he's dead. So if he gets gored, so then there's not going to be any, any obligation on the person whose ox it was to pay the fine. So the says, well, what, what do you mean? But he could still be able to stand, even if, he has, if he's a trefa, he has a hole in his lung, he could still be able to serve his master. So then why does he have no value? says, He's somebody who's disgusting and ugly and full of blisters all over his body, and therefore his master is not interested in having it in front of him, and therefore he has absolutely no value. I'll ask you a question. If somebody is a half slave and he's half freed, and he went and he married a woman who is a free woman, what's going to be the law? So now we're going to bring two different cases where we see a similar kind of case. Now we have a case where you have a regular Jew who said to a regular Jewish woman, I want you to be married to half of me. Mekudeshes. So if the law would be over there that indeed she's considered married, why would it be? Because she's fitting to him completely. So therefore, that's why it's considered that she's married to him. Because what he's saying is, I just want to have the ability, says Rashi, I just want to have the ability to marry another woman. That's what he means when he says, marry half of me. But he really means to marry her completely. So therefore, why do we assume that that's what he means? Since we're talking about a woman who could be completely married to this man, because he's a regular Jewish man, so therefore that's why we can make that assumption. However, but in our case, she's not fitting to be married to him completely. So therefore, it's not considered anything. And if you're going to say, what about the case where a regular Jewish guy says, I want to marry half of you, half of the woman. It's the opposite case, right? So if in that case it's true that she's not married, why? Because he wants to leave her over to be able to marry another man. That's not possible. It doesn't work out that way. So why is it true that it doesn't work out? Why is it not considered a good marriage? Because you left over. He didn't completely take her in. He didn't completely uh, acquire her, so to speak. But this this slave, he has not left out over anything of her, so therefore maybe indeed it would work. My, what's the Allah? Tashima, we bring a proof. If there was an ox that gored a person who was a half slave and a half free man, so half of the money goes to his master, and half the money goes to his inheritors. And if it would be true that he would not be able to make any kind of kedushin, he can't marry a woman, how does he have any kind of inheritors? He's got to have inheritors from somewhere. Um, Rav Adabar Ava, Rav Adabar Ava says like this, The case is talking about where he made him some kind, when we say that he got killed. It doesn't mean that he literally got killed, but rather, when the ox gored him, he made a hole in his lung such that he's going to die. And he's considered a dead person. Therefore, that's how the children, who's the children? It means himself. He's the one who gets the money, because it's considered that he got killed.
Amaravo, so Rav says, hold on. Two problems with what you just said. Chad, first of all, the Yarshav Katani. It says his Yarshim is inherited. It doesn't say him. For second of all, it's it's called this is Kofer. This thing, this payment, this fine that we're talking about is called Kofer. The only time that we pay Kofer is only if the guy is completely dead. So you can't talk about somebody who got a hole in as long as he's considered dead. In that case, there wouldn't be any Kofer. You wouldn't have to pay this fine. Amaravo, so Rav says, Roy Lital Veinloi. What does it mean that it goes to his inheritors? It means that theoretically, if he had some kind of inheritors, they would be able to get that money. But he doesn't have any, so therefore he won't get the money. No one's going to get the money. So Rav says like this, just like if somebody tries to marry half a woman and she's not considered married, so, so too if you have a woman who's a half maidservant and a half free woman, and she's, that you try to marry her, a regular Jewish guy, it's not going to work. Darash Rabba Baravuna said the following drasha. Just like a, you try to marry a woman who's a half woman, you try to marry half of her, it doesn't work. So to the same exact thing that we just said. If you have a woman who's a half maidservant and she's half freed, she's a a regular Jewish person tried to marry her, it doesn't work. So Rav Chizda says to him like this, What's the comparison? So by a regular woman, by trying to marry half of her, you've left over part of her. You've left over acquiring, you have only acquired half of her, so therefore it doesn't work. But when a regular Jew tries to marry half a woman who's half free and half not, he hasn't left over anything in her. He's, he's done whatever he can. So therefore it should work. So Rabbi Baravhona, he got some kind of meturgaman, someone to speak for him. He, mean, he, he had a quiet voice or he wanted to say this over to, the, to a group of people. So he got out someone who had a loud voice to say this thing over him. The Dorash and he said like this, This stumbling block is beneath your hand. And what he meant was, The only way a person can find out the real understanding of the words of Torah is only after he has stumbled in them, meaning he admitted that he made a mistake. Even though they said that someone who marries half a woman is not considered married, but a half maidservant and a half free woman, means she's half and half, and that she got married, Kedusha Kedushin, it is indeed a good marriage, my time, what's the reason? Because in regards to a regular woman who she, a man tried to marry half of her, so he left over part of the kidney, he hasn't, he hasn't completely acquired her. But here, he's, got, he's taken whatever he can, therefore it would indeed work. Um, Rav Sheshesh says, says, just like you can't marry half a woman, you also can't marry a woman who's half slave, half free. If someone's going to whisper to you and say, What's the case of the Torah, of a woman who has some kind of illicit relations despite the fact that she's designated to someone else? The case is a woman who's half a maidservant, still and half freed. And she's engaged to a Jewish slave. We see that indeed she can become engaged. So if someone tells you that, you can respond to him like this. Go to Rishmael, because he holds, that the case is talking about a maidservant, a non-Jewish maidservant, who is engaged to a Jewish slave. So the Gemara says, wait, is a, a non-Jewish maidservant have the ability to get engaged to a Jewish slave? 
So what can we answer? That what's the case? The case is talking about a case where she's not actually engaged, but rather she's designated to him. So, so to over here, we can say that the case is when we talk about engagement of a woman who's half slave, half free, we can talk about that she's not actually engaged, but she's designated. Um, Rav Chizr, Rav Chizr says, If you have a woman who's half slave and half rich, and it's actually Ruvain, that she became betrothed, married to Ruvain, and then she was freed, and then she went and she went and she married someone else. And they both died. We're talking about two brothers here. So she's allowed to actually do Yibum with the third brother, which is Levi. We turn to Memgil Amabez, page 43b. And we don't refer to it as someone who has married two persons who died. Meaning, we're going to explain. Either way we look at it. So if the first brother's Kedushin, the marriage was good, so then the second guy's marriage is nothing. And the only way that Shimon's Kedushin, the second guy's marriage could be anything, is Kedushin the Ruvain Lav Kedushin. Only if, if the first son, the first brother, his his marriage was nothing as well. So therefore, either way, she was only married to one of them, and therefore this, the third brother is allowed to indeed go and do Yibum and marry her. Itmar, we have a member. If you have a woman who's half slave and half free, she's got a Ruvain, that she got married now to to Ruvain before she was freed, and then she was completely freed, and now she marries another person, this is not talking about a brother, but rather it's just a different guy named Shimon. Rav Yosef Barchama, Amar of Nachman, Rav Yosef Barchama says in the name of Rav Nachman, so the first guy's marriage is gone. Rabbi Zera, Amar of Nachman, Rabbi Zera says in the name of Nachman, no, as soon as she comes out, she's freed, so the first guy's marriage completes, and therefore she's considered married to the first guy. Amar Rabbi Zera, Rabbi Zera says, Kavasi didi mistabra, like me, it makes sense. Tichsev, because the verse says, They won't be killed because she has not been released. That implies, this, that's the verse, the verse says in this case of a half maidservant, half freed woman, that they don't get killed if, if she has some kind of illicit relations because she wasn't yet freed. But if she would indeed be freed, Yumsu, then they would indeed be killed. So that implies, like Rabzera, that, that uh, she is completely married to the first guy. And therefore, whoever else is going to have relations with her is going to be completely illicit relations. So Abai says, According to the Tanabit de Beri Bishmal, the Amr Bishifcha Kenainis, and Mureses Levit Ivri, that the case is talking about a case where you have some kind of maidservant who is engaged to a Jewish slave. So then we should say the same thing. That uh, if she goes out free, that they're, they're, he wouldn't be dying? What are you talking about? If, if it's just a designation, as we said before, to some kind of Evid Ivri, it's not a real marriage. So then according to your the deduction that you made, so then we, was, we should say the same thing over there. Even though she's completely freed, so she'd be, she be considered connected or completely married to that Evid Ivri, that slave, it does, it's not true. What are you going to say? That she went up free and then she went and she got remarried. So that's that's the only way that we could say that in regards to a woman who was betrothed, so to speak, but who was really just designated, she was not Jewish, she was designated to a Jewish slave, that what happens, why did she get, why did she get killed if she, after she goes out free? Because she had gotten remarried. So we can say the same thing over here by this case where you're 
you're talking about a half a woman who was halfway a slave and halfway a baschar and she was halfway free and then she got married before she got freed and then she was completely freed so we can say that the only way that there's a chiv misa that there's going to be some kind of obligation for them to receive the death penalty is only if when they went and they got remarried completely at the end but otherwise they aren't completely married so it's not a good proof to Rabbi Zera. Amrav Huna Barkatina. Amrav Huna Barkatina says Amrav Yitzchak and the name of Yitzchak. There was a story of a certain woman who was half slave, half free. And they forced the master to free her. So who does it go like? It's like Rabbi Yechem Ben-Braka. The Amr al-Shneihem hu Oimer. Over both of them, meaning both man and woman, does the verse say, It says, Hashem blessed them. And he said to them, You know, be fruitful and multiply. Meaning there's a chiv, there's an obligation on a woman as well to also have children. And therefore, we're going to free her if she doesn't have the ability to marry neither this guy or this guy. If she's halfway freed and halfway not freed. That's what it implies. Rav Nachman Yitzchak says, no. It's not true. The reason why they forced him to free her was because she was going around and she just became very promiscuous because she had nobody, she had no one that she was uh, designated for, that she was married to, to protect her. So therefore they said that no, she has to go and be freed. We begin the Mishnah. Someone sells his slave to a non-Jew, or he sells his slave to to outside of Israel, from inside of Israel. So the slave goes out free. Gemara. We learned that someone sells his slave to a non-Jew. He goes out free. And he needs some kind of document saying that he goes out to some kind of freedom document. From the original master. Says, when is this true? If he hadn't written any kind of document. But if he wrote some kind of document, that document acts as his freedom document. My says, what is this this document? says, the of Lehachi. He wrote them as follows. If you run away or when you run away from that non Jew, I have nothing to do with you, meaning you go out completely free. we learned on a Brisa. Someone who borrowed money from a non-Jew, and he said, if I don't pay you back so you can collect from this slave, once the non-Jew does this nimuso, we're going to see what that means, so then it's considered that it's gone into the possession in a certain sense of the non-Jew, and therefore it's considered he sold him and he goes out free. My nimuso, what is this thing nimuso? Rav Huna Bar Yehuda says like this, Nashki, it's this chain that goes around the neck with some kind of signet on it and it says that this is the slave of a certain person so as soon as the non-jew has placed this signet around the neck of this slave so it's showing that it's his now and therefore he goes out free because it's considered that at this moment is when he was sold to the non-jew massive Rav Sheshes Rav Sheshes asked the following question all of these different cases are cases where you have some kind of somebody and we're going to focus on the case of the non-jew so you have this non-jew who borrows money from a Jew and he says to him if I don't pay you so the collateral is my field so even though he made for him this nimus it's petura it's not considered the Jew's property yet and therefore the fruits do not require that you take off any kind of tithes. 
if the word nimuso means some kind of signet that you hang around the neck of a of a slave, can you talk about such a thing in regards to a field? What is a, a nimuso? It's talking about the time. And what it means is as soon as, and despite the fact that he has set a specific time when the Jew is going to get it, nevertheless, meaning it sounds like it's almost in the Jew's possession, nevertheless, it's not considered the Jew's, and therefore, you're not chayven so you don't have to take off any kind of tithes, it's not Jewish property. So now, So now we have a problem because in this second brisa, the second statement, so we see that nimusa when you have the time, so it's still not considered that it's entered into the possession of the other person. Whereas in regards to the slave, even though it hasn't actually entered into the possession of the non-Jew, the fact that they wrote a time when it's going to go to him, nevertheless, it's considered that it's now entered the possession of the non-Jew, and therefore the slave goes out free. So you see that it's a totally opposite halacha about the same thing. It's not a problem. It depends whether the time has actually arrived yet. In the case of the slave, where it's considered that now he's sold, because that time that they set came already. In the case of the piece of land that is not considered that it belongs to the Jew yet, it's because that time has not come. If the case is by the slave where the time already came, so we need to say that halacha, of course, of course, if the time came, it's already transferred into the non-Jew's possession, of course he's been sold, and therefore he goes out free. The Gemara says, no, both cases are talking about where the time did not yet come. So what's that explanation? There's a big difference by these two cases, because in regards to the slave, so what's getting acquired? You're getting the body of the slave. Since you're getting the body of the slave... So Rashi explains the fact that you went and you said that it's going to go over to the non-Jew at some time, despite the fact that the time has not yet arrived, you have showed contempt for the takana, for the decree of the rabbis. And once you show contempt for the decree of the rabbis, so they say it goes out of your rishus, it goes out of you, it goes out of your possession, it's, he goes out free as soon as you set a time. However, in regards to the field, so there all we can talk about is fruits. And says Rashi, even if the time actually comes, all the person the Jew is getting is the fruits of the field. That being the case, the land itself does not belong to the Jew. So no matter what, even if the time comes, nevertheless, the Jew is not, it's not considered the Jews, and therefore there's no chiv meiser, even though they've set a time. We go on to the top of Memdalad Amad Allah, page 44a. Or another explanation, It depends. In either case, the case is talking about where you have, you said, I'm gonna, you're going to be able to collect from this thing, either from the, from the piece of land or from the slave. And now the guy has not yet come to collect from it. So in the case of the slave, despite the fact that he has not yet come to collect from it, it's considered that he has already come to collect from it because he will come and collect from it. Which is not the case in regards to the piece of land. Because as long as the Nanju has not yet come, it's not considered that it's entered his possession. However, in regards to the slave, since you've already, again, there's a kind of concept of contempt, since you've already gone and showed contempt for the, the Takana, the decree of the rabbis, therefore we say that despite the fact that he hasn't actually come to collect his slave, it's still considered that it's gone into his possession, and especially since we're talking about a case where the time already came from to collect, but he just hasn't come and collect it. That's what Rashi says. So therefore, that's why, indeed, he goes out free.